Well, it's good to be in Garnett again. We bring you greetings from, by way of travel, Shrewsbury, Pennsylvania. It's been good to be in Kansas for a few hours. Uh, we're thankful to be here. We've looked forward to worshiping with you this morning. We thank God for the opportunity to be here, to worship with you brothers and sisters. Uh, we've looked forward to this for a while. I don't know, as I study the word, uh, my imagination runs wild. I, I allow it to run to try and put myself in the place of the characters that are there. And so the reason I believe it was an all-out war, I'll just give you my explanation, uh, is when you look at what was happening all the way through the life of Jesus, these disciples were always arguing who was the best. Lonnie, Andy, you can put your name in there. They were always arguing. And right before they leave to go to the Garden of Gethsemane, they're still arguing after the Lord's Supper, after he taught them to wash one another's feet and to love and to die. They're still arguing. They're still fighting. Does that resonate with you? I still fight. Lonnie? You and Julie still fight? Yeah, I know you do. <laughs> you don't have to tell me you don't. Any husband or wife, you will fight somewhere along in a week. You, you know, it may not be an all-out war, but you will argue, you will talk about something somewhere. It's life. Let's just agree with it. We are men and we are women. We have our own will. We have our own makeup. We have our own things. Things will come that we will have an argument somewhere. And it's a blessing because you can go back and, and restore the relationship. And it's a lot of fun to get an all-out fight, even with Lonnie sometimes. It's a good joy when we follow the teachings of Jesus Christ. Well, when you have an argument, when you have a disagreement, you go back and you work through that situation to love your brother back. That's what Jesus did for us when he went to the cross, when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And Peter was, said, I'm going to die with you. He told him. I am willing to die with you, and Peter said, and Jesus said, you get that sword, brother. We're going to teach you a lesson. Peter was determined that he was going to save Jesus. He did not yet realize and understand that Jesus had to die. He did not yet understand that. And I believe he was determined. He, was the only, he, he had one sword and somebody else had the other sword. He was going to do what he could to save Jesus. I don't know how they fought back then, but I could just imagine Peter having this sword, and he just goes like this, intending to hit anyone around him. Malchus is the only one. A skilled fighter. Peter wasn't a skilled fighter. He was a fisherman. He only knew how to throw out a net. And I can imagine he threw out, he threw, used a sword like he threw out the net, threw that thing out there. Caught in there. Jesus says, put your sword up. 
teaching the principle of dying to self. Even though you want to protect yourself, you want to protect everyone around you, God's plan and understanding God's plan sometimes can be very difficult. Peter had to learn that lesson. So that's why, in my mind, it was an all-out war. Sorry to disagree with me. It's just my imagination. And it runs wild sometimes. And uh, can always build a story on an imagination. Putting yourself in that place and trying to think, what would you do if you were in that place? I know what I'd do. I'd be wielding the sword and I'd be out, I'd be out to kill. And that nature is still in here. That nature is still in here. And I have to battle it and I have to deal with it again and again and again in my life because it would be just so much easier just to annihilate someone who offends me, someone who disagrees with me, someone who is against me. It would just be just as easy just to annihilate. But Jesus doesn't give me that opportunity. He gives me the opportunity to love them and to rebuild the relationship. That is difficult some days. Believe me, it's very difficult. Turn with me to Psalms 26. We'd like to begin there this morning. Psalms 26. This is a, a, uh, a lesson from, from David. Judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in mine integrity. I have trusted also in the Lord, therefore I shall not slide. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins and my heart. For thy loving kindness is before mine eyes, and I have walked in my, thy truth. I have not sat with vain persons, neither will I go in with dissemblers. I have hated the congregation of evildoers and will not sit with the wicked. I will wash my hands in innocency, so will I compass thine altar, O Lord." that I may publish with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all thy wondrous works. Lord, I have loved thy habitation of thy house and the place where thine honor dwelleth. Gather not my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloody men, in whose hands is mischief, in their right hand is full of bribes. But as for me, I have walked in mine integrity. Redeem me and be merciful unto me, for my foot standeth in an even place in the congregations. Will I bless the Lord." The psalmist here in, in writing and talking about who God is in his life and how he loved him and how that he walked with him, he raises a question and, and he raises this question twice and he talks about it. He says uh, in verse 1, Judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in mine integrity and I have trusted also in the Lord, therefore I shall not slide. In verse 11 it says, But as for me, I will walk in mine integrity, redeem me, and be merciful unto me. So we'd like to, to look a little bit at this, this concept of integrity this morning. What is integrity? Someone tell me, how would you describe integrity? What words do you put to it? Anyone else? Consistent. 
Good answer. The dictionary gives it as, I have three definitions jotted down here. Integrity is a firm adherence to a code of ethics, morality, and values. A strict, a firm adherence. In other words, you will do everything you can to stand by your code of ethics. You brethren that are in business, you know your reputation stands on the quality of work it is done behind the drywall, behind the scenes. That's adhering to a code of ethics. An unimpaired condition, soundness. There's nothing wrong with it. You don't have any infirmities. A quality... A quality or a, uh, a sign that brings completeness, undivided. That's a, those are just some meanings that I gathered from the, the dictionary. Synonyms are uh, decency, honesty, virtue, uprightness, goodness, righteousness. So these are character qualities that should be within believers, within those who have experienced a relationship with Jesus Christ. Here are some synonyms, here are some antonyms, uh, badness, evildoing, immoral, dishonest, iniquity, sin, wickedness, decisiveness. These are characteristics of the evil people, of those who have never come to know Jesus Christ. And so as I, as I looked at this, it, uh, David says he walked in his integrity. And what did he base his integrity in? He says, he, I walked in mine integrity. He says that twice. I will walk in mine integrity. So is there, is there something, is there a way that you can have integrity and not be in Christ. Yeah, yeah. Let's explore what the word says. I'll let you determine to when we're done to see if it's possible to have integrity. You can walk in your own integrity. There has to be a a, uh, to have a code of ethics, to have uh, a code of morality, there has to be a baseline. There has to be something that you, you have to put yourself up against to see if you are a man or a woman of integrity. And, and David here alludes to it. He says, he says uh, I have walked in my integrity. I have trusted also in thee. Examine me, O Lord, and prove. Examine. So, that, you know, as we look at this, I believe, we believe, I believe, and I, I believe you believe this, that the Word of God is our, our level of determining our integrity, determining where our integrity comes from. And David alludes to that, that his integrity that he's walking in is based on his relationship with his father and his, his relationship with God, that he was, he was living what he believed God wanted him to live. And I think that is where we begin with. Proverbs chapter 
Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 11 gives us somewhat of a, 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 somewhat of a direction as to where our integrity should come from. Proverbs chapter 11, verses 1 to 3, A false balance is abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. When pride cometh, then cometh shame, but with a lowly is wisdom. The integrity of the upright shall guide them, but the perverseness of transgressors shall destroy them. And so we find here, it says, the integrity of the upright. A person that is upright has a code of ethics. And that needs to be our guide. And I believe that that is a part of your life. I believe that it is something that the, our guide comes from a basis from the Word. That there is a God that we have to answer to. That there is a God that we are responsible to as we read the Word. And I'm sure that, that you, you would believe this. That it is the Word of God that is our guide that gives us direction where we base our integrity on. Not, uh, not having a false balance, not having pride, these things the Word of God speaks about. A prideful man can lack in integrity. I've seen it. I've done it. I know. In my life. So, how do you get this integrity? If you, if you stop and think, if you are a person that lives in integrity, how did you get it? Integrity, I believe, integrity is a learned character. It needs to be taught and caught by each proceeding generation. Do you agree with that? Each of these little children here. Are sinners. Amen? And they need Jesus. And it takes a godly father and mother to teach them that alongside of the word. And it takes the example of a father and a mother for that child to come to the point that they want to walk in integrity. Let, them, let that child go for a, a, a period of five, ten years, and you will know without a shadow of a doubt, if you, do no if you don't push them one way or the other, you will know without a shadow of a doubt that that child does not have integrity. He doesn't have a guide to, to tell him which way is right and which way is wrong. It is a learned characteristic. You learn integrity by hearing it and by watching it. Because they will watch you as a father and mother. I want to go to Genesis chapter 18 for the basis of this concept. And I hope that God says this also about you. This is a very interesting uh, story, very fascinating story to me how this all happened. In Genesis 18 is a story of after uh, Lot and Abraham separated, Lot is chosen to go close to 
uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and finally went into the city thinking he could go into the evil and he could be a witness and a testimony and he was going to win the city. I don't know. Yeah, why not? He's had the influence of Abraham. He's walked beside Abraham. He's seen Abraham. And he's followed Abraham. He had children. The, the, the herdsmen were fighting. I don't know that Lot and Abraham did. But they agreed they're going to separate. Lot goes toward the city. It's going to be easy living down here. Easy living? Hmm. Eh. Brothers and sisters, we are easy living. I'm going to tell you that right now. We are living easy. If you want to find hard living, go to Iraq. Go to Iran. Go to Saudi Arabia. Go to places where it's going to be difficult to live your faith. Living is not easy. Everywhere. We are living easy, brothers and sisters, today. Lot chose easy living. He had integrity, I believe. When you look at what he says, he still lived a life committed to God because God took him out of that. But it wasn't best for him. He lost his, his, his children. He lost the effect of his integrity because he drew close to the evilness of that city. And we come into uh, verse, um, let's begin to read verse 16. And the men arose, and this is when, uh, let's stop again, just a little bit more history. The, so uh, Abraham is sitting in his tent, and he sees three guys walking across, I don't know, come up the road, you know. You bring this story into your, you're sitting on your porch in the evening, and you see three guys walking up the road. What's your first impression? Well, here comes some men of God. That's probably not your first reaction. Now, here comes some Jehovah Witnesses, right? I don't know, they, they didn't have them back then. But they, here Abraham sees three guys coming. He's in his tent, set, says, setting in his tent, and he goes, goes out and tells them, hey, come in here, come on in. He's hospitable, wants to provide a meal for them. I don't know, he doesn't, he doesn't say that he knew who they were. But anyways, these guys come in, he feeds them. And here, verse 16, the men arose from thence and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to bring them on their way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham the thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is come unto me, and if not, I will know it. There's some very interesting thoughts in those few verses. But God says this. I, I, my personal belief is that it was Jesus. You can choose to believe different, that's okay. My own belief is that as Jesus looks to the other angels and says, uh, what do you think? 
they set their eye towards Sodom, and he says, what do you guys think? Should I tell Abraham what we're going to do? You know, kind of quietly. What do you think? You think we should tell Abraham? And he says, this is the interesting thing he says. Seeing that Abraham is going to be a godly man, he's going to be many nations, he's going to be blessed. And, for I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord and do justice and judgment. This is why I believe that integrity is a learned and a caught discipline characteristic. Abraham didn't have a child yet, but he said, this man will do this because he believes in me. God the Father, he believed in God, and he says, I know this man will do this. For many generations, people will come. And you look at the rest of the Bible, and you see it is true. Abraham taught his children. Even those descendants of Abraham that were not the chosen seed, that fought against the Jewish people, they still believed in a God, God the Creator. And they still believed in God the Creator, but not the God of love that we serve. You see, that continues to follow the generations. They have done that. And I believe that that is a, a promise that we can hang on when we teach integrity, when we teach by example and by word, it has a lasting effect. It can have a lasting effect into the generations that will come. It says his generation and those that follow after him. And it says, I believe that Abraham saw his children to the, at least the third, if not the fourth generation. Abraham saw his children and taught them. He taught, he taught that to Lot also as his nephew. The other thing that, that puzzles me to no end, Jesus says this, I'm going to go down and see if what I hear is true. If Jesus is God in the flesh, if he is all-knowing, why did he ask that question? Why did he stay that statement? That, that puzzles me. He wants to go down and see if what he, is, what he is hearing. He says, the cry has come up. He says, I'm going to go down. Here, let me read it again. Verse 21, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which has come up unto me. And if not, I will know. <laughs> I, I don't understand that scripture. It just, <laughs> it's a puzzle to me. If God, if Jesus Christ, God, knew all this, why did he have to go down and check it out? Which brings a question in my mind, in my mind, I don't know about yours. Holy Spirit's living within us, right? Does Jesus ever come and say, I want to check out Merle Schweitzer? Think about it till we get to the end of our lesson. Thank you, Andy.
Integrity is a display for others to see what is on the inside. You cannot consistently hide evil in your heart. Integrity is a display for others to see what is on the inside. Proverbs chapter 19. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 1. Better is the poor that walketh in his integrity than he that is perverse in his lips and is a fool. Proverbs 26 and 7. Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find the just walk, man walketh in his integrity, his children are blessed after him. Others see your integrity. You really, don't, you really shouldn't have to say that I'm a man of integrity. We live it. We are an example of it. And it's a display for others to see. And, you know, the testimony of us, of, of Schweitzer's Fencing Company, of, of me, I hear it over and over again. I don't go looking for it, but I hear it coming to me again and again from people who say, uh, I, you come with a good reputation that we can depend on you. You're the real McCoy when it comes to building fence. I'm glad I found you. I don't have to trust. I don't have to worry about it. I can trust what you say you will do. That's a testimony that people should be able to see in you. It should come to us as believers in Jesus Christ that others see that we are men and women of integrity. We will do what we say we will do. And when we fail, we acknowledge that and we repent from that. That we are able to, to walk before the world as men and women of integrity that they bring, in the end result is to bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ, not to ourselves, not to Schweitzer fencing. You know, we just do our work to bring honor and glory to God, to provide a service for people that don't know how or don't want to build fence. There's other good quality fence builders out there. We, we refer people to other people, work that I don't want or I can't do or don't want to do. Not much fencing that we can't do because some I don't like our men, my men don't like to do, so I don't accept that work. Refer it to other people that can do the job better than us, possibly. Just because we have integrity, does that mean that we are saved? Let's, let's go to that question. Let's go to Genesis chapter 20. Genesis chapter 20. It's a situation where Abraham lied about his wife. Jonathan, did you ever lie about your wife? Pardon? Did you ever lie about your wife? <laughs> Hopefully not in this way. <laughs> Abraham lies about his wife. She's my sister. Not, you know, it was, it was kind of a gray area. Yeah, yeah, she was, but she wasn't, you know. So he, he kind of uh, skirts around the corner. He didn't stand up. But what's interesting is in this, in this situation here with Abimelech, we're going to uh, read verses 3 to 7. 
Genesis 20, verse 3 to 7. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said unto him, Behold, thou art a dead man for the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, wilt thou slay also a righteous nation? Said he not unto me, She is my sister, and she even said herself, She is my brother, in the integrity of my heart and innocency of my hands have I done this. And God said unto him in a dream, Yea, I know that thou didst this in, thine, in the integrity of thy heart. For I also withheld thee from sinning against me, therefore suffered I thee not to touch her. Now therefore, restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet, and he shall pray for thee, and thou shalt live. And if thou restore her not, know that thou shalt surely die, thou and all that are thine. Abraham has been chosen by God, not of anything that he did. And that... I don't understand. What did God see in Abraham? Except that he was willing to walk by faith. He was willing to follow God. You know, so when, when I'm presented with that same opportunity, well, I follow God to do what he wants me to do, even though I don't know where I'm going, and I don't know what I'm going to do when I get there. But as Abraham is following this, he fails, just like, he, just like you and I do fail. And this man... Abimelech says he was in the integrity of his heart. He said, if I had known that she was his wife, I wouldn't have done it. Lord God, you know what I do? He says, well, you slay a righteous nation. He was not a righteous nation. Just remember that. He, you know, God did not call Abimelech. He had called Abraham. And he told Abimelech, you, you restore her and he will pray for you. He's a prophet. This man, I don't believe, was a saved man. He didn't have any experience Possibly he understood uh, the ways of God, but he didn't understand the call of God like Abraham did. And so this man here, we cannot say he was a saved person. And I can take you to people in my community that men are men of integrity, that, that I refer business to, that I know do not have a confession of faith. Is that okay? It's okay. With, and the way I understand it, it's Okay. They have to live as a just, under the hand of a just God. When they face eternity, they're going to face a just God who is going to give them the result of what they live, just as he will for you and I. But because a person walks in integrity doesn't mean you are a saved person. Although your integrity is based on a level of ethics and everything else, it may be very close to Christianity, but if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you acknowledge Him in all your ways, doesn't mean that you are a saved person. So don't ever take what a person does and lives and is an example of integrity in the business community, in the world around you. They may raise good children, but if they do not accept Jesus Christ, they are ungodly people. Don't ever lose that thought. It's, it's difficult sometimes to, to have a clear understanding. So that means we need to talk and ask them specifically, do they know Jesus Christ? Do they accept Jesus Christ? It also talks about honesty. In Acts 6.3, when the church was growing rapidly and had a lot of problems going on, some of the women were, were not getting fed. And the apostle says, will you choose out six men of honest report, men of integrity, men who lived what they believed. And they chose them 
And we know the story of that. Uh, in Romans uh, 12, 17, and 18 says, be, be honest in the sight of all men. It doesn't say just in, in, in Christianity. That's good. But in the sight of all men, all people should know that you are an honest man, that you do what is honest. You know, so when, so when a customer pays you five hours more than what the invoice says, what do you do with the five hours? Was it a mistake? Was it a choice? You'll never know unless you call that customer and say, uh, you overpaid five hours. I'll send you a refund. They say, no, I want you to give that to your man. Or, you know, some people overpay. By mistake. They'll pay off the estimate, not off the invoice. My estimates often are more than my invoices are, purposefully, so that you know, I try and you know, we estimate footage, and our footage is less. We end up with an invoice that's less. Customers like that. But sometimes they pay off the estimate instead of looking at the invoice. And so what do you do? You have to call them and ask them. They say, well, not everybody would do that. I can't live with myself. If I receive that money and say, oh, this is cash in my pocket catch up with you after a while if you're not careful. In 1 Peter 2, I, I, I like this, this, this fits in so well with our, our lesson, the Sunday school lesson this morning. 1 Peter 2, he says this, 1 Peter 2, 12. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. You know, an honest person in an evil world. Did you ever hear, coming back, this, this guy, that Schweitzer's fencing? I have a few disgruntled customers that we failed to meet up to their expectations. We did what we thought. We did what we could to meet up to their expectations. Come to find out later, no one else could either. What do you do with that? Go, talk to them, repent. So that they cannot continue to speak evil with you when, you when you humble yourself, when you submit yourself to them and you repent before them, it removes their fire. But some of them continue to use that fire. What do you do with that? You just continue to honor and glorify God. Later on he talks about how that we need to suffer for doing good and not wrong. That we need to be willing to do that. We need to be willing to suffer. So we need to be honest before people that are around us. So, we've figured out so far that integrity is something that we have learned from a child. We know that it has to be based on the Word of God, that we, we need to live our lives based on what God wants us to do. It needs to be evident to people around us. When we fail, we need to repent. We need to be 
able to be a blessing to those around us, to be a testimony to bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ. Sometimes, sometimes God will put you to the test. Sometimes God will put you to the test. In Job 1.8 is another very fascinating passage that just causes me to imagine. Job 1. And I've been reading through Job the last month. Just been reading slowly through it. It's a very fascinating book. This man is an old man. Lived a long time. Job 1. Verse 6, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? There is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and sheweth evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not made a hedge about him and about this house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. Put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. So, I don't understand... What is happening? It says the sons of God present themselves, are present with God. So I, in my imagination, now it's just my imagination. Just bear with me. Just give me grace. God and the sons of men are gathered around a campfire and are telling stories. I don't know. They're sitting here around this campfire enjoying a time of fellowship, a time of just relaxing and telling stories about, you know, I did this this week. You you ever do that? Stand around at church, talk about the things of life? We do that. And I just, I can just picture this, that God is sitting there and they're they're talking about this. And and Satan comes with a chair and pulls up and sits down with him. And, And Satan just sits down there. And God looks over to him and says, so what were you doing this week? Valid question. He says, and the Lord said, and saying, where'd you come from? What were you doing? So that's what gets me to thinking about, you know, setting a campfire, setting around a campfire, which I enjoy doing, and I'm sure you do too, and, and fellowshipping. You talk about things. And so God says to Satan, what did you do? Well, I was just walking up and down around the earth. I was just, just walking around. That's very true. Satan does that. And uh, I don't know if Job was in the circle or not. It appears that Job wasn't in the circle. Maybe he was. And I just want, you know, if so, if Job was in the circle and, he's, and uh, you know, they're talking about this and God says, uh, hey, uh, this guy over here, you know this guy, man, Job? You know, he's a man of integrity. He fears God. He stays away from evil. He's a good man. Did you ever look at him? 
Yeah, I've walked around him. You know, there's, there's this hedge around him. I can't get into him. You put something around him. Brothers and sisters, God does that for us today. God puts a hedge around us that Satan cannot get in and deceive us. We only let him in. We push, we push that hedge. We pay, make a way of opening the hedge that Satan can come in if we want him to. And so uh, he says, well, you know, you've protected him. God said, okay, hedge is away. Do anything you want. You can't touch him. He goes out and destroys everything. I don't know how soon was that late, how soon after it was in chapter 2, verse 3. And uh, it says again, they're sitting around the campfire. And, uh, and, and the Lord said, uh, where, you, where were you at? Well, I'm just going up and down the earth. In verse 2, verse 3, and the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil, and still holdeth fast his integrity, although, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without a cause? Satan, you asked me to remove the hedge. I did. This man is still a man of integrity. This man still honors me. You said he would curse me to my face. What do you think? He says, skin for skin. Let me at him. Do you want Satan to be left loose on you skin for skin? Not sure that I do. He's stronger than we are. He's more powerful than we are. He's a, he's a strong enemy. He's got very, he's, a, he's got all kinds of forces against us. And you see what he did with, with Job. And uh, in the end, uh, verse 9, Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. Some days you almost feel like doing that, don't you, brothers and sisters? You just feel like it would be easier just to stop doing what I'm doing and just relax. I don't have that option, brothers. We still need to be men and women of integrity in the midst of the fierce battle that we are in. The fierce battle, the, the spiritual battle that we are in today is ongoing and will be ongoing until Jesus returns again and brings his kingdom. And so when you are put to the test, when I am put to the test, in the midst of all things, no matter what it is that we are presented with, we have to be men and women of integrity. We need to live our lives as if we are dependent totally on Jesus Christ. We don't have the ability to live the way we can of ourselves. It is only through the experience of Jesus Christ, walking with him in his word, walking and following in him and being who he wants us to be. As was shared in, in uh, Luke 22 in the Sunday school lesson, the adult class, maybe I'll, for those of you that weren't here, maybe I'll turn and read a few verses here that talk about uh, Peter here in, in Luke 22, uh, verse 31. It, it wasn't referred to this, this point. But it says, uh, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thou, thy faith, that for thee, that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. 
And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before thou shalt deny me thrice that thou knowest me. Jesus said to Peter, Satan desires to sift you as wheat. I, I, I didn't research what that word means, but I, I wonder if it means to, I could see it in two ways. One would be to get you know, sift the sap, the chap and, and the kernels apart. That's pretty disturbing. You know, you're shook around, you're bounced up and down, you know, you're, you're all that. Or does it mean the grinding of the wheat to get it ready for flour? Either one are difficult. Either one is going to cause your faith to grow or waver. And he says, I pray for you, Peter, that your, you will, your faith will grow in the midst of this suffering. And Peter says, and that's where Peter says, I'm ready to die. And he says, you're denying me three times. Brothers and sisters, men and women of integrity, when you're going through the grinder, when you're going through the sifter, our integrity, our faith needs to be strengthened and encouraged. It's not in our own strength. It's not in our own ability. But then, as Jesus says, I have prayed for you. Jesus is with us through the midst of all of those things. He gives us the ability to be walked as faithful men and women of Jesus Christ. And I encourage you, as brothers and sisters, to remain faithful in the midst of the storm. Because Jesus is with us. He's got a promise for us. He has a plan for us. And I don't always like the plan. It don't seem right. It don't look right. It don't feel right. But the plan is a divine plan that he has for us.